Hello, and welcome to the Slot Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. If you are listening, that means you're a Slate Plus member, which means you support Slate and the journalism we do. Thank you so much for that. Today, we are answering a listener question from Zach Long. What's your most pleasurable summer reading memory? Doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite summer read, although it could be, but the summer reading experience you remember most fondly. All right, Dana, you're going first. All right. This is going to sound like old news because I believe I've already mentioned this in an endorsement context. But I think by far my my summer reading endorsement and memory and just indelible experience has to be Moby Dick, Moby Dick Summers, which for me ended up lasting over a period of about five summers, I think. (laughs) My story with Moby Dick was that I had to read it for graduate school for my PhD exams. And I was actually told by my advisor at the time, don't read all of Moby Dick. It's not the best use of your time. Read this bit, this bit, and this bit. And you can work it into, you know, if it comes up in, in orals or writtens or whatever. So that's what I did. Of course, swearing to myself that I would go back and read the entire book and always loving it, always loving each moment that I was holding it. But once you become a working person, it's just very hard to work Moby Dick into your life. It's such a slippery piece of literature. It's like climbing this incredibly slippery, beautiful mountain that's hard to get footholds on. And essentially, there's really no point in reading it if you're not paying attention to the language at every moment. If you're just sort of plowing through it so you can check it off your list of books, then you're not really reading it. So for years, it guiltily sat on my bedstand, and I couldn't make myself finish it. And, you know, I questioned my my bona fides as a literature lover that I enjoyed this book so much and yet could not seem to finish it. And then I discovered the secret that I should only read it on vacation. And that's all I did. So then I just decided, guilt-free, that book will just sit on my shelf until I go on a nice long vacation somewhere where I get to sit by a lake and read which for a while was happening every summer because my family would rent this little summer place together for a week. And that was the time I would read Moby Dick, and it was such a joy. So I stopped worrying about when I was going to finish it or you know, whether I would finish it before I died even. And I remember this moment of being coming back from a summer trip, flying somewhere over you know, the great salt flats of Utah, and just finishing it, finally being on the last page, the incredible last chapter, the ending of Moby Dick is just jaw-droppingly great. Mm. And uh, and taking a picture of the last page to kind of memorialize it, like, I'm done, and there's no more reading Moby Dick for the first time, and that's a wonderful summer memory. So in addition to recommending Moby Dick as summer reading, I just recommend that mode, just having a big, tough, hard, ridiculous book that you don't guilt yourself out about. You just make it your vacation book for as long as it needs to be. I think it would drive me crazy to read a book in that protracted a manner, but I'm glad that it worked for you. I mean, if it's page-turner fiction, of course it would, right? But But something about... Moby Dick's, you know, recursiveness and strange, twisted labyrinth. And it is sort of you can sort of jump in at any moment. It doesn't really quite matter whether you remember the last chapter or not, because the new chapter is going to go somewhere completely different. I don't know. Do you see that at all, Steve? I mean, it's somehow precisely because it is such a a jumble of heterogeneity. It really goes with that mode of reading. Hmm. Yeah, no, I could absolutely see that. I mean, it's it's great that you put the lie to the idea that that it can be um, you know, um, read in something other than its entirety, right? You can't kind of pick and choose with Moby Dick. It's meant to, it is the whale. Oh, yeah. Know? It is a monument that has to be tackled in its entirety, for sure. Yeah. You're meant to haul all 20,000 um, tons of blubber up onto your poop deck or else you haven't. <laughs> Read, else <laughs> you haven't read Moby Dick. Um, I just, I, rem- I just have this particular Adirondack chair that I have, have such joyous memories of sitting in with a cold drink, and Moby Dick is just the best. Hmm. That's wonderful, um, Steve. What is your ultimate summer reading memory? I, you know, I'll give you one. I, I um, it's 
kind of the opposite of Dana's in a way. I was young and um, and a part of me felt as though I'd completely wasted um, my college experience. Um, and I made a new friend who had gone to my school and uh, had gone to Wesleyan. Coincidentally, having run into her um, on the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia, where I was then a grad student, and um, we formed this wonderful, wonderful friendship. It kind of it, it was so meaningful and remains to this day so meaningful. It kind of obviated my sense that I'd wasted three and a half years in Middletown, Connecticut, at Wesleyan. You know, I mean, um, and we had a beach very early in our friendship. We had a mutual friend um, whose family had a house on in, on Rehoboth Beach where coincidentally I was this past weekend with these same people. And we go every year. It's been now close to 30 years. And I think the very first weekend we were there, someone had shown up with a copy of um, High Windows by Philip Larkin. And at that time, I didn't know who Philip Larkin was. I mean, I think I had some vague sense that he was a funny-looking fuddy-duddy with a you know boiled eggy head and a pair of you know Coke bottle glasses um, who wrote poetry that made T.S. Eliot's work look like, you know, a celebration of life, you know, and daffodils. Um, but, um, and we passed that book around for the entire weekend, just kind of reading out loud these, I mean, it's the, you know, high windows is the collection that has, they fuck you up your mom and dad. They do not mean to, but they do. They give you all the faults they had and add some extras just for you. And, um, it, you know, it just, it's filled with readable, accessible, quasi doggerel, even though Larkin was a totally gifted, you know, versifier, but wonderfully accessible poetry, scabrous, funny, sexual, uh, weird, high literary, middle literary, low literary. I mean, it's just one of the great works of English literature. And I just, I had no idea that this person who had intimidated me so much during our school years was a wonderful and accessible person. Um, and I had no idea that Larkin, who wrote English poetry that I thought was supposed to squat on my conscience unread, um, could also be so accessible and so wonderful. And so it was a very sociable experience. I think we even have photographs of us sitting on a beach with a copy of High Windows, circa 1980, fill in the blank. Were you actually reading it together? Were you like reading it out loud to each mm -hmm. other? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. so groovy. I love it. That's really great. Um, it's funny. I What I think about when I think about summer reading experiences is not the specific works read, but the yearning for the total absorption in books, the mm. like uninterrupted absorption in books, which is hard to achieve during the workday and actually hard to achieve on vacations now because, you know, even if my kids are off doing something, it's like part of vacation is you get to hang out with your partner and talk to them and do stuff and go on adventures and that endlessness of a kid's summer where you can just lie on a beach for a whole goddamn day and like read one Agatha Christie book and then put it down and read the second one that's in the tote bag and just like never be bothered. Uh, I yearn for that. And I beach, you know, ideal reading situations, face down on a beach towel, digging your feet around in the sand with like a cold can of Coke uh, seated, uh, situated on the corner of the towel so it's not getting sand on the bottom. Um, and then flipping over when your wet bathing suit and the wet towel become too gross and reading with the sun, the book up in the sky, blocking the sun. Perfect. Other great reading situation was I went to summer camp for many years and we had rest hour after lunch where you would lie in your cabin for an hour and read or you know sleep or just chit chat with your friends. But you're supposed to be quiet. But every so often you could persuade the counselor to let you have 
uh, rest hour on the docks. So you'd go out and sunbathe. And so – and the docks were out on this lake and they had these kind of turn boards, these like bumpers that would kind of knock up against the docks in the in the waves. And so I have this sense memory of lying out stretched on a towel on a on a dock stretched out over a lake with lapping waves hitting the dock and the creak of these turning boards going uh, and just – Eating books, just like stuffing books into my face oh, man, and being unbothered. Uh, man, I could go for that. I could go for six hours on a beach with a book. Well, corollary to, to total absorption, and I recommended this to a few people recently who were going on long flights. When when I went to Japan last summer with my family, we had two 14-hour flights, the longest flights I'd ever been on both ways. And they both completely disappeared psychically for me because I was reading the Elena Ferrante tetralogy at the time. So basically I wanted the plane Ooh. flights to be longer so that my reading would be less interrupted. So Ferrante on a plane, that's good stuff. Uh, Dana, you know, we're um, as a family, we're going to um, Maine um, for the first time at the end of the summer. And there's no Wi-Fi, which is going to reorder my older daughter's entire ontology. Her being in the world is not going to you know it's not going to emerge intact from one week without internet um but anyway so we're all strategizing how we're going to survive this uh and um books obviously is the is the answer so we're all making our stack and i think i'm going to bring the ferrantes i haven't i haven't touched them yet but i I believe in them completely um and i'm ready to you know completely dive in. Oh, I think we should do a segment on them after you've read them, or at least hear your feedback. Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that. Bring in Laura Miller for this talk about Ferrante. I would love that, but I would also weirdly say, Steve, bring a backup. I'm like not sure Steve is going to like them. I, You know what, though? If Carl Wilson, Dana Stevens, Julia Turner, Laura Miller, (sighs) Jody Rosen, isn't Jody a Ferrantist? I don't know. Um, Willa Willa Paskin, definitely. I mean, I mean... I know very few people who have resisted its spell. I, I'm there's no way it's not going to get me. I mean, it's just there's just no way. All right, all right. I'm just saying that's like flying without a net. Like I really okay. I love them, but after I read one, I feel like I'm in a like toxic psychic crabbed little attic, and I I was like, okay, I'm going to read the next one next year. <laughs> like I need a little whew, breathing room. Well, okay, I mean, so I'm maybe, not, maybe I'm bring a couple say... of bring a couple of Jack Reachers with me. Yeah, couple, yeah, yeah. throw a gray. few Agatha Christie's in there too. <laughs> you got it. All right, uh, thank you so much, uh, Zach Long, for that great question. Listeners, please come to the Facebook page and share your favorite summer reading memories at facebook.com/slash/culturefest. Thank you very much for being Slate Plus members, for supporting Slate and the work we do, and for listening. We'll talk to you next week.